The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson. I'm a reporter at Mansion Global. Today with me are Danielle Hale, Chief Economist at Realtor.com, Katie Hogan, owner of the boutique real estate agency Reside in Maine, and Dan Gutfriend, Global Real Estate Advisor for the DG Realty Group at Signature Sotheby's International in the Detroit area. Welcome, and thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. Today, we're going to talk about the Emerging Housing Markets Index, which the Wall Street Journal and Realtor.com have been putting together for about two and a half years now. We're going to talk about the luxury section of the ranking, which is our focus, and that relies on data for the top 10% of listings in the markets of 60 metropolitan areas in the U.S. It takes into account information on the real estate market and other economic measures. So that includes growth in the housing supply and demand, prices, cost of living, local property taxes, the, the, the diversity of the area and wages. And it analyzes all those indicators to rank the most active emerging housing markets. So in the third quarter, there were some changes. And Danielle, you and I talked about this a little bit when we spoke for the story a few weeks ago. And you mentioned there was a little something for everyone on the list this time. So could you take us through the top 10 cities on our ranking? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Leslie. Thank you. Um, So there were a couple of key trends, I think, that emerged in uh, this quarter's rankings. We had a lot of Boston adjacent areas like Portland, Maine and Providence, Rhode Island. We also have some California markets on the list, San Diego, San Jose and L.A. So both northern and southern California markets represented. We've got some middle America markets where there's really good value in real estate. St. Louis, which was a prior number one along with Detroit and Dallas. And finally, some outdoor retreats, Boulder, Colorado, and Wilmington, North Carolina. So there is a little bit of something for everyone just in the top 10 list. Thanks. And how is this different from what we've seen in the past? You know, in in our first few rankings two years ago, we saw a lot more in the Sun Belt, I felt like. Yeah, Florida markets routinely uh, were up in the top 10 of the list um, a couple of years ago. I think, you know, a lot of people were very focused on uh, tax policy and and moving for um, for low tax areas. So in addition to Florida, I think we also saw uh, some Tennessee markets on the list. Um, now that trend seems to be changing. I mean, California markets are uh, not necessarily known for their low taxes. So uh, people seem to be moving for other reasons these days. It's certainly not the Northeast is not known for low property taxes. Um, I also wanted to ask you about inventory. Inventory has obviously been a huge issue over the last few years. Where do we stand now, especially on the luxury side? Yeah, so the housing market is still pretty short on inventory if we're comparing to the pre-pandemic period. Um, it, you know, Nationwide, we're down about 40% uh, compared to that pre-pandemic period. So put another way, for every five homes a buyer would have seen uh, back four years ago, today they're seeing just three. So there are not as many homes to choose from. And that's true in the luxury sector as well. 
Um, some positive news, we did see a little bit of an uptick over the last year, but some of that momentum is waning. So I think the jury's still kind of out. A slower market did initially help inventory recover. Um, but interestingly, because a lot of the slowing we've seen in the real estate market is very uh, interest rate driven and existing homeowners who might sell are very sensitive to that, we, we've seen that uh, recovery kind of peter out. So uh, I think inventory is, is continuing to be a challenge in the housing market today. Thank you. Um, Katie, I'm going to move over to you to talk a little bit about Portland, Maine. That was, again, our number one city on the list for the third quarter. What makes it so appealing to you? Uh, I think that Portland, and I recently quoted this uh, in an article, the lifestyle and the culture here in Portland is an absolute draw for uh, people who are either relocating from other states or who were born and raised in Portland and left and are returning to either raise their families or now that there's the ability to work remotely. Um, I think the draw for Maine and the greater Portland area is the ease and the lifestyle, the culture that we have in the city. Um, it's a really diverse city. It's a port city. It's accessible to all of the outdoor uh, amenities that anyone could look for in a four season state. So we have, you know, skiing and boating, um, very big foodie scene, lots of uh, philanthropy opportunities with nonprofits. Um, and there's a huge draw for artists and visionaries and uh, business, whatever your industry is, I think that there's a market for it here. So uh, to be able to live in a location like Portland or Cape Elizabeth, Falmouth, uh, Yarmouth, the surrounding towns, uh, good school systems, uh, good community strength and small business. Um, so it really has it all uh, for- right. so like there's lots of, um, that it offers, but I, I also wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what the luxury market is like there. You mentioned some of the surrounding towns, but what um, kinds of housing are people buying there? Sure, sure. So uh, single family homes uh, and condominiums uh, are the drivers, I would say, for our luxury market. There has been uh, a lot of activity in our multi, you know, multifamily um, market as well here, but in Portland, you'll see, you know, we have beautiful old Victorian homes, uh, actively selling and, and listed upward to, you know, the high three, 3.9 million. Um, but you can get into a luxury condo, uh, anywhere from, you know, the high eight hundreds, uh, upward to, you know, over 2.5 million. Um, so the demand for, the condominium market in Portland has definitely increased, um, but we still have, you know, a, a pretty robust uh, single family market as well. And those condos are waterfront usually, aren't they? Water view. Um, and, mm -hmm. and there are absolutely um, a high number of, of waterfront uh, buildings, um, but with the condominiums in them and there's future development on the rise. Uh, but, the water views from, you know, the Western prom or the Eastern prom, and then also right down in the center of the old port are, are 
pretty amazing. Amazing. Um, and where are people coming from? You know, there's been a lot of migration over the pandemic years. Where are you seeing buyers coming from? Uh, we've had, you know, ebb and flow from different markets like the West Coast, California, um, Texas, Florida. We always have an influx of, uh, you know, the tri-state area with New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, even Massachusetts. I think people who can commute into the city or, or have the option to only go in to Boston maybe once or twice a week are making their way up to Maine. Uh, we do have, you know, a lot of flight options from Portland at the international airport. So there's a convenience there for commuters um, that are making Maine their primary residence and going from there. Great, thank you. Um, I wanna remind our participants online that you can ask questions, so please feel free to do that. And um, then we're gonna go west and talk a little bit about Detroit, Michigan, which was a little bit of a surprise actually for me to see on the list this time. Um, but Dan, can you talk a little bit about what the luxury market is like in, in your area? Sure, I was actually very, very excited to hear that Metro Detroit made the list. Um, you know. Most of the people that are coming to Detroit are surrounded by the automotive industry. We have, you know, the big three. We have all OEM suppliers that supply the big three. And the industry is the largest industry here in Metro Detroit. So as you can appreciate, um, anyone and anyone that's in the business of automotive or suppliers to automotive are coming to Metro Detroit. You know, we've seen our fair share of ups and downs. Um, I think the city itself has got grit and we're, we're really hardy in that respect. And um, so there's a lot of executive CEOs, uh, owners and operators that are all moving to um, Metro Detroit area. You know, I, I specialize in the luxury markets here with Sotheby's. And uh, so I handle a lot of the, a lot of the transactions that uh, are happening locally. So what are people looking for when they're coming to Detroit? What kind of housing, um, what kind of amenities? What are the po most popular choices for folks? Sure. Well, I think like most states and and you know we're we're on a big technology boom with uh, ai and and uh, automation and such i think it's important that you know the homes that most buyers today are looking for are, are automated um you know something that can be uh, accessed through a smart device um that's really top uh, top of mind lately um home audio uh, walking into your home and having lights go on or come off um, accessing alarm systems and cameras um you know, HVAC systems, you name it. So, you know, everything that is really accessible from your, your smart device is really top of mind. Um, communities that are, are, are local to, you know, parks, amenities, schools, walkability, that's really, really high on the, uh, on the interest list. Um, you know, especially communities, communities where we have like-minded people, you know, similar demographics, uh, that is all really key when, um, when we're selling luxury. Um, you know, families, you know, they're, they're, they want to go, you know, flock to areas that are, are family oriented, you know, um, with parks and, and obviously good schools and education. Is there a trend um, with people coming from specific places or is it more the trend that they're coming to work for the automotive motive industry and that they can be coming from anywhere? It's a little bit of both, actually. Um, we're seeing a lot of return from former residents. Um, Michigan's a great state. We're the land of lakes. We've got really good quality of living. Uh, we're middle market, um, affordable living, I should say, as well. Um, we're seeing a lot of people coming back from Chicago. Chicago's crime rates have really scared a lot of people out of the city. 
and they're coming back to uh, Metro Detroit. You know, students that really grew up here in Metro Detroit went to, you know, our two big schools, U of M and MSU. Uh, those are great schools. Um, we're seeing a lot of the, the kids coming back, um, but we're also seeing, you know, transplants coming in from uh, other states like uh, Atlanta, um, West Coast states like California. Um, we've seen uh, Ohio area. I mean, that's a neighboring state, but in the neighboring states are generally um, uh, people in the automotive industry that are working in, in dealing with automotive on a daily basis, trying to find more of a, a closer proximity to their, their dealings here locally. So that's what we normally see people coming through. My cousin just started as a freshman at University of Michigan, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, the, e the electric vehicle industry has grown in the last few years. We're hearing more and more about it. Is that a driver at all to, no pun intended, to uh, Detroit? <laughs> you know, EV is a big deal here in our city. Um, you know, technology is, is, is ever so changing on a regular basis. Uh, I've had the pleasure of dealing with um, top level executives in all the big three. And EV is obviously number one driving force right now. Everything's going electric. Our city is on the cutting edge of this technology. Um, I think robotics, AI, EV, those are three major industries that are really taking over. And um, this is a melting pot of, of, of information technology. I think there's a lot of collaboration going on in our city. Um, and this is where it starts. You know, there's a lot of new EV companies that are emerging here in Metro Detroit. They want to be close to the hub of automotive. And so we're seeing a lot of new businesses arise. Interesting. Um, to ask a little more of a nuts and bolts question, um, what about prices and inventory in Detroit? What are you seeing for trends there? Interestingly enough, we, we do have an inventory shortage. I mean, I think that's really hedged on the interest rates. Most of our luxury markets are cash. Um, we're finding that there's a lot more cash transactions lately in our business. Um, you know, I, I kind of handle my averages exceed a million dollars. Um, we we have different markets that go from one million to six million. And we've got different markets that kind of teeter around the two and a half million to three million um, mark. Uh, that's our luxury market here in Michigan. We don't really see very many transactions exceed six million. If they are, they're very, you know, unique um, offerings. Um, we had a transaction on the west side of the state in 2017, obviously many years ago. Uh, that reached, you know, high 30s, 30 million. But it was it was a big land offering, uh, make Lake Michigan lakefront footage. It was it was a significant transaction that I managed as well. But um, you know, overall, um, the luxury markets have been strong, um, mostly executive uh, driven, um, and young young younger generation. You know, new money coming in. Like I said, we we have a huge technology uh, industry here, and um, a lot of the uh, younger uh, uh, technical uh, engineers that are coming through that are making the, the, the larger salaries or are affording larger properties. Gotcha. Um, going back to Portland, Katie, I want to ask you the same question. What are you seeing in terms of inventory and prices in Portland and in the area? Yeah, uh, similar to what Dan said, our, our inventory here in Maine has, has not necessarily uh, been that robust. However, we have had a, a slight uptick um, with our luxury market. And I would say for Maine, luxury, you know, can can be coined anywhere from an $800,000, you know, uh, condominium or home, depending on where it's located uh, in Portland and, you know, vicinity. 
anywhere into the you know seven seven to nine million range uh, is probably the peak of our luxury market here. Um, you may see a rare listing going above that, but um, that's typically you know into the, into that nine million dollar range is our peak. Uh, we have a very heavy seasonal uh, homeowner population here with executives as well that will come and use this as a second home, uh, some use as their primary residence. So, and uh, we also have the Casco Bay Islands. For instance, we had an island that sold upward of, you know, 5.3 million uh, last year, and it's used for events and, and rentals. Um, and then we also have just so many opportunities for seacoast living right outside of Portland um, that taxes may be considered high when you look at the number, but in comparison to greater Boston or some of the other waterfront communities in New England, uh, we still have a, a relatively affordable tax base for uh, properties that otherwise would be off the charts in other locations. Um, Danielle, I want to, we talked a little about the inventory a little bit earlier, but I wanted to ask you specifically how that is affecting prices and if it is still keeping them somewhat elevated or if, if we're seeing a change there at all. Yeah, so we are seeing prices remain elevated. So in the, in the overall housing market, if we're looking at the median price, it was flat year over year in October. And then, uh, you know, some of the weekly data that's come in for November shows that prices might be ticking back up, which I think has been a big surprise of the housing market in the last year. We know that prices are high. We know that mortgage rates have gone up. So costs have risen pretty sharply. Um, in, in the luxury market, we're seeing prices go up too, but not, um, you know, again, not, not as much, but they remain relatively high. Um, and if we're looking at sales, you know, sales across the board in the housing market has, has come down as inventory is limited and a lot uh, buyers or who would be sellers. So homeowners who have a mortgage right now um, are often feeling locked in in place. And so they're not becoming buyers. And so we've seen the overall sales transaction volume fall. But the luxury market has been a little bit insulated and have, has not seen sales come down nearly as much because you have more buyers who are able to use cash or alternative means of financing. And so they haven't been quite as impacted uh, by those mortgage rate changes. And you know, the stock market has remained relatively high. It hasn't grown as much over the last couple of years, but it has remained relatively high. So that's a good source of funds for the luxury market and luxury buyers. Right. So we I have talked a little Oh, yeah, please. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Leslie. I actually am noticing that our luxury market, because there's such a, a second home ownership trend here in Maine, that our luxury market prices are showing some reductions, more so than they have in the past, which is surprising. We do also have um, a cash buyer pool for the million plus um, properties here in Maine. So it's, it's interesting for luxury market realtors here in Maine to see it's starting to take a little bit of a slowdown and there have been some price reductions. So there's opportunities here in Maine that haven't existed. Our inventory is still extremely low, but our price points are, are shifting and softening slightly. Interesting. Um, we, we did talk a little bit about, you know, how luxury buyers often have a lot more cash and maybe the 
mortgage rates don't affect them as much, but the larger economy and uncertainty in the larger economy does. And Daniel, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what some of those pain points might be for, for those folks. Yeah, so although stocks remain relatively high, um, consumer confidence has generally been weakening. Um, the data out this morning showed that I believe it was the fourth month in a row where consumers are starting to not feel great about the economy. Those feelings have kind of worsened. Um, and that could translate into a cutback on spending. We know that um, although inflation has improved, it remains quite high. And so a lot of households are kind of balancing their budgets. So far, earnings have been relatively strong, but you've also heard some retail CEOs kind of express concern about what's ahead for the future. Um, you know, at the same time, a lot of economists, a lot of CEOs have been concerned for quite a while. Um, you know, inflation has been eroding into uh, purchasing power for uh, the better part of the last couple of years. And yet we, have, we haven't we have seen an economic slowdown. In fact, the numbers for the third quarter uh, were higher than what we've seen in the beginning part of the year. So, um, I, you know, I think there's a sense of unease and yet the incoming data has been pretty good so far. Um, but I, maybe it's just that we have had such a streak of good news that people are kind of worried about the future. At the same time, the longer these trends go on where people are really kind of stretching to make ends meet, uh, the harder it is to see those trends continue. So I, I do think there are good reasons to worry. At the same time, the recent data has been pretty good. Got it. Dan, I wanted to um, throw that question to you. What are your um, clients concerned about? What are, what are their pain points? I think there's a lot of different elements that are affecting um, people's uncertainty. We've got, a, obviously, a global event right now that's happening that is really putting a lot of concern in everybody's mind. Historically, in an election year, our markets are down. Um, we've seen that trend every four years. We kind of see that going. Um, and I think as as we continue to, um, I mean, consumers' debt is at a high. I mean, it's everybody's you know spending more money on their credit cards, and the interest rates are extremely high. Um, once those interest rates come down, I think we're going to have um, uh, a significant shift in the way this market is going to be. I mean, as soon as we get from, you know, the high sevens or the low eights down to the sixes or the 5% interest rates, we're going to see a pent up demand explode and values of homes will continually rise at, a, at, a, at a, an alarming rate because the inventory is still going to be at a low point. So it's high desire uh, uh, buyers, low inventory is only going to force values up. And, um, you know, we're all speculating right now. We don't know what's going to happen. The Fed this morning said there could possibly be a yet another interest rate hike. Um, so anything can happen. We're, we're all guessing right now. I, I listen to all kinds of analysts. Lawrence Yun, who's the uh, National Association of Realtors, chief economist. He's my go-to as far as information is concerned. And, I mean, one week it's this, one week it's that. It's, it's always changing. So it's, it's really, really a tough um, question to answer, but I do think that economic uncertainty in general is playing a big role with uh, everybody's kind of pullback from the market right now. You know, that and the, elect the upcoming election as well, we've got to divide the country and everybody's just kind of waiting. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we do have a question from one of our audience members and um, Danielle, I think I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, this is from Neil and he read that millennials are in, now in their prime earning years and starting to raise families. And that's part of the reason that the housing boom was so strong. But he's asking, um, you know, the, since the Fed dropped interest rates during the pandemic, 
Would the current housing boom have occurred even if the Fed had not lowered interest rates to be so low during the pandemic? That is a great question. Um, I will say, you know, I've been doing real estate economics for a while. I actually worked for Lawrence Yoon at the National Association of Realtors before coming to Realtor.com. And I was giving a presentation at the New York State Association of Realtors back in 2015. And I made this very bold prediction that based on the demographics and how old millennials were and when I thought they were going to be aging in the peak buying years, I said 2020 is going to be fabulous for real estate. Um, and when the pandemic started to unfold, I was a little bit nervous about that prediction. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But I do think that if you look at the demographics of that generation, the largest cohort of millennials turned 30 in 2020. And then, you know, there are some really strong years of, of as far as number of millennials, you know, right before, right after. And so I think we're start, starting to see or continuing to see the effect of that demographic really almost like a bump in the cobra. <laughs> um, it's a it's a very outsized uh, bump relative to those years. And so, um, you know, people tend to think about settling down, getting to that stage of life where they're ready to make a commitment to home ownership around age 30. Um, NAR tracks the data on first time home buyers and the age has been around 30 for the better part uh, of the last 30 years or so. It has crept up a bit. And so we're starting to see 30, um, you know, upper 30s, I think actually 36 last year was the highest it's been in a while. But I, I do think that 30 is a key psychological milestone. And it, it sort of is when people are thinking about making that move. And so we've got um, roughly more than 45 million millennials or uh, age cohorts um, that are in that 26 to 35 age range, uh, all the way through 2025. So we've still got a lot of millennials that are at those key household formation ages. And I, I think that is going to be a bit of a tailwind for the housing market. And one of the reasons why we haven't seen home sales slip further, you know, home sales are very close to 4 million, um, but that still means 4 million transactions every year. So um, I, I think demographics are really important. I don't know if we would have seen quite the same amount of frenzy if low mortgage rates hadn't accompanied those demographic factors, but I do think demographics are very important. Right, I think also a crucial Part of that equation, the pandemic boom was the pandemic itself and that everyone was home. They suddenly could work remotely. You know, they were able to buy maybe something in Florida or Maine that when they were based in New York City for so long. So that, that was another probably element that added to that. Thank you, Danielle. Um, Katie or Dan, do you have anything to add on, on that topic? I know you both said that some of your clients are moving back from um, having either gone to school or lived there as kids. You know, I think quality of life overall, um, you know, people um, are expecting different things within, you know, their search criteria. They want uh, home offices. They want multiple home offices. You know, if you've got two executives in the family that work from home now, they want, you know, individual spaces where they can go and, and have their their private conversations. Um, you know, outdoor living spaces have become really, really big. Um, you know, I notice you know, most like most in the last two years, um, people are interested in, in buying outdoor furniture and, and gathering spaces, outdoor fire pits. Um, all that is really also key to, um, you know, home purchases. People are looking for offices, outdoor uh, environments to to entertain. Um, technology, like we talked about, uh, those are, I think, my top three areas that uh, people are more drawn to. I, same here, I think. Oops, sorry, sorry, Leslie. No, please. Uh, proximity to uh, outdoor amenities is, is 
a huge draw here in Maine. And again, outdoor space, absolutely. Um, indoor offices in your home or people are building accessory dwelling units here in Maine is also um, a big trend. It's permissible in most towns and um, you'll see people looking for property that will allow for that based on their setbacks. And um, so that's also, you know, a large trend here and just move in turnkey ready. I think that, you know, more buyers are, are less uh, willing to do major renovations over the last year where that was a huge trend. Everybody wanted the fixer upper that they could dig into and, and add their finishes to here. We have these beautiful historic homes. Uh, so I think that ebbs and flows as the market uh, heats up again. I think we'll see a little bit more of that. Um, but, you know, similar uh, to what Dan was saying, I think quality of life and surrounding and community are also as critical as the space itself and what it has to offer. Thank you. Well, we're almost out of time, but Danielle, I want to just ask you quickly, this is our crystal ball segment. What do you think is on the horizon for the last, next uh, few months, the end of the year? I can't believe we're already at 2024 and then, you know, first quarter of next year. Yes, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, for folks who've been paying attention, mortgage rates had gotten close to 8% and have really come down sharply in the last uh, couple of weeks, as low as 7.5%, according to Freddie Mac yesterday. So I think that that uh, decline in mortgage rates is probably a little bit too late to help the tail end of 2023. But I do think the first quarter of um, 2024 could be interesting. Uh, you know, this is a really key time for those rates to come down because as people get to the end of the year, they start thinking ahead about New Year, New Year's resolutions. And buying a home is a big purchase. So I think people start thinking about it well in advance of actually making that transaction. So I think this is a really opportune time and we'll, we'll start to see that pay off, I think, as we head into the new year. But, you know, the housing market is still going to be challenging, even though mortgage rates are down. You know, they're still relatively high, seven and a half percent. You look at homeowners who have mortgages right now. Uh, the vast majority have mortgages that are under six percent. So there's still a pretty big gap. I don't think the lock in effect is going away. But the lower mortgage rates get, the less binding that constraint is. Thank you. That's great. Well, I appreciate you all being here, Danielle, Katie, and Dan. It was great to have you. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Please join us again on Monday. Barron's Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levinson will be talking with Dave Bajanowski, Partner and Investment Manager at U.S. Equities at Ballet Gifford on the outlook of growth stocks, financial markets, industry sectors, and individual stocks. Thank you all so much for being here and take care. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.